You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers who won a game on the road. I can't believe I'm talking about a road win for the Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the Pacers for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and that is not a misspeak. For the first time since November 22nd in Chicago, the Pacers won on the road. It's been that kind of season. Their fourth road win of the year tonight in L.A. over the Lakers. Final score, 111-104. And there's a lot to talk about from this game. The game in general was awesome. The Pacers had a fantastic second half. Karis LeVert looked great. Uh, and then late, DeMontis Savonis gets hurt, and Rick Carlisle calls it a somewhat significant ankle sprain postgame. That's not good. We'll talk about that at the end. And Malcolm Brogdon returned from his injury. was a very good and steady hand for the Pacers at point guard. And I just want to talk about Brogdon because I don't think he gets enough uh, correct praise from fans. And, I, in fact, I think a lot of narratives about Brogdon are wrong. So lots to talk about today. We got to lead with the game. It was an unreal second half from the Pacers. I don't, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I believe this is the first time the Pacers have won a game all season in which they were trailing at halftime. Uh, they were owing something big up to this point of the season, but they get it done with a huge second half where they outscore the Lakers 61-48 to in the second half. And they, their offense looked awesome in the second half. Karis LeVert had 21 points in the fourth quarter. That's the highlight of this game for the Pacers is he just carved up the Lakers. He was in foul trouble for much of the game, but he was clearly being assertive and, and putting his stamp on the game. He had three dunks like in the first three quarters and was snaking his way into the lane and was getting all the way to the rim and doing the stuff that makes Karis LeVert the best version of himself. And then in the fourth, when they, the, you know, the reins were off, the foul trouble wasn't important anymore and they got the right lineup and around him, Right, Tory Craig was in there. He was playing very well. Sabonis and him have a good partnership. Justin Holiday hit some threes tonight. Right, it was a good lineup around Karras playing like that. He looked really good. Carmelo Anthony couldn't stop him. Russell Westbrook couldn't stop him. He just was pulling up and hitting from everywhere, scoring at the basket, hitting some big threes. Karras LeVert shoots twelve of sixteen and three for four from deep. An awesome, awesome performance from him. He absolutely carried the Pacers down the stretch. Got some big praise from Carmelo Anthony from the Lakers side in the postgame presser. So that's that's how the Pacers won is Lavert took over when it mattered. But the story, I think, for the Pacers was their second-half defense, only conceding 48 points to the Lakers, who scored more than that in the first half. And they the, the, the Lakers at one point were shooting like 50% from deep and looking great. And then the Pacers just found a way to suddenly be this awesome defensive team that the Lakers couldn't score on at all. It was really an impressive turnaround, and you know, Torrey Craig should get the most praise here. He did not play well on offense. He missed 10 shots, but Torrey Craig, 13 rebounds, four of them on offense, plus 15, two blocks for him, right? He was defending LeBron like none other, and LeBron still had a nice stat line, but making LeBron uncomfortable or making him give it up or just making his life harder is still very, very valuable as it was in this game, and Craig was a huge part of that. His plus-minus led the team. LeBron was a minus 20 for the Lakers. The Pacers absolutely smoked the Lakers in his minutes. Russell Westbrook, who the Pacers also defended pretty well. Karis LeVert actually played pretty well on defense. They had Brogdon back, who played decently on defense when his limited speed. Duarte played good defense in this game. Duarte had a good game despite a poor stat line, right? Russell Westbrook finishes 5 of 17. It was minus 18. The Pacers did an incredible job on the two available Lakers stars, especially on defense. That was why they were able to come back in the second half. It looked like for a second the Lakers were going to steal it, 
because the Pacers went up in the third but then gave it away and the Lakers had a hot finish to the third and they were ahead by four going into the fourth. I don't know how, the last time the Pacers won a game when they were trailing entering the fourth quarter either, but right basically from the jump of the fourth onward, the Pacers were so much better than the Lakers and Levert was obviously the key there on offense and the defense was good on everybody. I mean, the Lakers just really struggled after a hot start shooting from three. They ended up shooting 72% from the line, 32% from three, and 44% from the field. And yeah, you know, the Pacers just got it from everybody, right? They, they needed, with turnaround, they needed backup centers to step in. And Isaiah Jackson played in the first half. He had nice minutes for the Pacers. Goga had a decent three minute stint in the first half. O'Shea Brissett hit half of his shots and was nice. Jeremy Lamb had a nice defensive game. I, I how When's the last time that that's ever been said? Jeremy Lamb played over half the game and was valuable in this game because he played good defense. Duarte played excellent defense and had 11 points. Brogdon in his return, we'll talk more about him later on, was really impressive as well. 19 points for him. What was key for him was the assists. He finished with six. He had three assists really early in the game. They, the three assists were the first three Pacers makes, and the Pacers started really slow in this game without Brogdon's passing. They might not have had a chance to do anything in this game. And then Zabonis somehow have gotten this far without saying anything about him besides that he got hurt. 9 of 12, 20-point triple-double for DeMontis Sabonis. The Lakers, Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan play center for them. Sometimes, sometimes they go small on the interior. But they just, they had nothing for Sabonis in this game. They had a lot of guys they could try to put on him. They had a lot of interesting schemes they went for. But Sabonis could, could rebound, out-rebound those guys or you know set good screens and make those guys move or finish over them. He was really good. As a, as a fulcrum in this game that kind of opened up everything for the Pacers offense. And they played him a lot because Miles was out in general, but he was really big for the Pacers in this game. And then Justin Holiday, if he hits his threes, he hit three of eight tonight, he's going to have some value. He hit some big ones and big moments as well. So the Pacers get it from everybody. This is one of those games where, if you've been following the show for a while, you know I like to talk about this, balance was key for the Pacers. They had six guys take between 10 and 16 shots in this game between Holiday, Craig, Sabonis, Karis LeVert, Brogdon, and Duarte all in that range. That's when the Pacers are at their best is when their offense is humming a little bit. They've got guys moving. They, they're, they're cutting. They're getting to the right spots, and guys are willing to pass and not trying to be hero ball E or you know not giving it up when they need to, not when the matchup dictates it. They did very well at that in this game. And teams just in general, I said this on Monday's show after the Clippers game, teams just in general tend to play their best against the Lakers. And I know that this Pacers team has been pretty terrible all season, but I kind of thought this could be a game where the Pacers look kind of sharp. You know, they looked sharp against the Lakers in their first game that went to overtime earlier this season. I thought they would, they could look sharp in this game, and they did. And th- th- this was the the most effective their offense has looked in some time. This it looked more effective in this game than that Utah game where Lance Stevenson and Demontis Sabonis carried them. In this game, it was a really a team effort. Uh, everybody's stepping up and, and contributing in a big way. This is how when the Pacers are at their best, and they and they certainly put their stamp. On this game against the Lakers, well-deserved win, first road win in two months since November 22nd, which is just, it's jarring to see a stat like that. So much in my notes that I could talk about. Uh, I think Isaiah Jackson's first half deserves some mention here. He was pretty good in those minutes uh, against a smaller Lakers unit. Uh, His second half did not go as well, but that's going to be important going forward uh, if he can give them anything because if Sabonis is out for a while, which Carlisle indicated that he could be, again, I'll talk about that at the end, but the exact quote was uh, probably going to be significant was Carlisle's exact quote on Sabonis' ankle injury. If they can get any impressive performances from 
someone like Isaiah Jackson and Goga, you know, Goga only played three minutes because Jackson was better, but Goga had two blocks and made a shot in his three minutes. He even looked good in those minutes. They, they won't have a good center rotation, which is hilarious for this team given their history, but uh, having some credible sense of, of good minutes from Jackson is at least encouraging that Goga and him can hold down the fort somewhat. Uh, this was maybe the the lowest minutes Lance has played since signing with the team. I think that's kind of noteworthy. Uh, you know, he's still the backup one in theory, but now that they have Brogdon and Levert back, and those two guys can kind of oscillate the point guard duties, and Duarte and Levert and Brogdon can all play off ball at the two. You know, they didn't need Lance to play as many minutes or be the backup point guard to the extent that they have in past games. So I think that's something to watch going forward is where his minutes end up, how many minutes he ends up playing for the Pacers going forward. Um, but yeah, the, the, those are the key takeaways for me. But Lavert and the, the takeover was just unbelievable. I mean, every possession, they could just give him the ball and, and he could get them something, a good shot, a good pass to a teammate, something. He was doing it all. It was really impressive to see Lavert like this. He hasn't had one of these games in a while, but quietly... A very quality, you know, he was like one of the guys who COVID kind of intersected good play for him. Um, but his last 10 games now look really good. I mean, his la- this, I'll get his last nine games. I won't be able to get this one into this uh, query on basketball reference because it's not in yet. But in his last nine games before this game, Levert was averaging 23.9 points per game on 46% shooting and six assists per game, right? He'd been playing really well. And then COVID, uh, he got... He went into health and safety protocols and got bisected. He scored less than 20, only twice in his last 10 games now after this one. Levert quietly playing very well, and he came up huge when it mattered in this game. So he was awesome. He's the reason the Pacers won. His offense was unbelievable in the fourth when the Pacers scored 33 points and got a win. And, you know, wins are interesting at this point in the season for this team. Who knows where they're headed? Who knows what the deadline's going to look like with all these injuries and what their record is right now? But everybody likes beating the Lakers and the Pacers – Certainly did, and, and they're they're still pushing for whatever their goal happens to be. If that's playing, then they'll push for it. But they got a win in this one. It was fun to watch uh, for the people who stayed up late. And they get to do it again tomorrow against the Warriors. I want to talk about Malcolm Brogdon, who returned in this game. I think so many notions about his play just don't make sense. They don't match with what – he's one of the guys that when people talk about him, it matches the least with what I see, I think, in the entire NBA. So I want to talk about Malcolm Brogdon. But first, I want to talk about the good folks over at Bet Online. Who would like to wish you a happy betting new year as they continue their march to the playoffs and beyond? Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. All you got to do when you sign up is use our promo code LOCKED ON, all one word, to get started. Football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC, plus your favorite Vegas casino games, all on betonline.ag. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online is where the game starts. Thank you for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every single day, especially after these big games against big market teams. Why not make your second listen, Lockdown Lakers, and hear how they're talking about this and Frank Vogel's future with the team. A lot of questions for Vogel pregame about his future after some articles uh, and reporting suggested he might not have that much longer of a leash in LA. This win by the Pacers will certainly not help Vogel's case. Let's talk about Malcolm Brogdon who returned in this game and was awesome. 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 I think he's very unheralded in general. I always have. I've always talked about on this show. how I think when he plays, he's the best player on the team. 
Uh, he, he does per like per rate, per minute, per possession, whatever. I think he's the best player on the team. Sabonis is better over the totality of his impact because he typically plays more, although this ankle injury we'll talk about later. Brogdon hits 50% of his shots. His floater game was awesome in this game. That's something he worked on this offseason. He told me earlier in the season is that you know, getting when he gets to the free throw line or gets to 10 feet, chucking up a, his one-armed floater thing and hitting that. And that always is a shot that opens up the game for a lot of guys. And I'm not saying that it has opened up the game for Brogdon, but it certainly has added a dimension of like you can't sag off quite as far in his drives. And now when he does drive all the way to the rim, remember in past seasons with the Pacers, he would get all the way to the rim but he would only be like a half step ahead of his defender, so he blew a lot of finishes. Now that he's got this floater and guys have to come up a little bit more on him, he can finish better now because it's easy for him to create space. Lo and behold, he's shooting 66% from 0 to 3 feet this season as opposed to below 56%. So basically a 10% difference his first two seasons with the Pacers. So adding just this little floater that was on display in this game has helped Brogdon in so many ways, and I think that's made him just the, like a very refined offensive player. Only six assists in this game. He played 26 Minutes only he was on a restriction with that Achilles thing, but still a very necessary six assists. Three of them, like I said earlier, right at the beginning of the game, 19 points plus four in a win. And I just think somehow the the forest, the tree, whatever the forest tree saying is, don't lose the forest and the trees. We've lost the trees and the Brogdon for I said this wrong. People think about Malcolm Brogdon incorrectly to me. He isn't like a dynamic super creator who can throw guys open like LeBron can throw these crazy Jokic skip passes and like be this crazy good passer. But he is really good at reading a defense and kind of manipulating a defense to get other guys open. And he does make some advanced ish skip passes or he made two good pocket passes to Sabonis in this game, two or three of those. Like he is a better passer than people give him credit for. And he really is an engine for this Pacers offense. Let's just go do some numbers. I know people hate numbers, but I love numbers to tell a story about Malcolm Brogdon. Since Malcolm Brogdon joined the Pacers, they are 72 and 66 when he plays. They are 23 and 29 when he does not play. Winning record when he plays, losing record when he doesn't. That seems pretty good to me. 34 and 20 his first season when he plays, 11 and 8 when he doesn't. 27 and 29 in the Bjorken year, 7 and 9 when he doesn't play. 11 and 17 this year when he plays, 5 and 12 when he does not. So, uh, you know, I think I think that's a better winning percentage every single season with him on the floor than off. That's obvious. He's good. He's better than the backups, but you know, that's that still suggests he's a better player than people are giving him credit for and that they have a winning record when he plays and a losing record when he doesn't. Very clearly talented and very clearly an engine for this Pacers offensive team. And I think a big reason for that is something I kind of mentioned earlier with the floaters, but he drives a ton, 17 times a game per NBA.com's drive tracking data. That probably is a little lower now because he only played 26 minutes in this Lakers game. But for a team that is so reliant on, you know, they get more points in the paint than a lot of other teams. They set up a lot of their offense by driving and then kicking and then moving it around or getting into their secondary actions or just in general succeeding from that. And he passes 8.9 times per game on those drives. That's higher than anyone on the Pacers as well. And that pass percentage ranks right up with McConnell, who passes all the time. McConnell's at 59 percent pa- drive passes whereas Brogdon's at 52 right it's a little lower but it shows that he is pretty good at creating shots off of drives and that's something that your point guard needs to do every so often obviously he has off ball skills that people think yeah he should play off ball a little bit more even I think that you know, he's not a perfect point guard or anything like that but I think he is good at setting stuff up in that way by getting to the rim by being the engine by setting up the offense by getting that half step on his defender if he can't finish now 
He's better at passing. He knows the decision he needs to make to make something happen. Something else I think is underrated for him is people say this. I think this is the laziest line of analysis in the world. Oh, he's not a true point guard. What What does that mean? He's top 25 in the NBA in assists per minute, in assists per possession, whatever you want to do to stabilize it and not just make it a who plays the most minutes or whatever kind of thing. He's top 25 in that. And if you, you know, there's a lot of bigs and forwards in that. Like amongst just point guards, he's probably like, 15, 14th ish. Like he's still a good passer for a point guard. I, I don't really understand what the true point guard stuff means. I just think Malcolm Brogdon is a, a really good player who's really important to the success of the Pacers. He can defend pretty well. He's very efficient from the free throw line. He's a he's a, a very rare for them threat from deep and not this season, you know, certainly. In fact, the last two but last year at 38%, I think it's more reflective of what he is. As a shooter in general, that was on 374 attempts, right? So, yes, he's struggling from deep this season, but perhaps one of the Pacers' best threats from deep, especially off the ball. He takes a lot of off-the-dribble threes, which kind of deflates his percentage. But just number by number, no matter how I slice it, all the stuff that I think is important to the Pacers' success and all the stuff that the numbers say is important to the Pacers' success, Brogdon is mostly pretty good at it. He's definitely weaker with quicker, shifty side-to-side guards. He's not, like I said earlier, this dynamic, throwing crazy passes to set guys up, and his passing is a little inaccurate. That's where I think the biggest gripe for his passing comes from. But I think he's just so talented in so many ways that help this team win that I'm always so surprised when people you know, don't think he's that important to their success or that he's super expendable or anything like that. And yes, he's always injured. That is clearly his biggest negative, is that he misses several games every season if that's the reason that at some point in the future the Pacers decide to move on from him or to go a different direction at the starting point guard position that makes some sense to me you know you an equal value player who plays eight fifths as much as him is worth way more just because they're playing several more games a season I understand that but when he plays I think Brogdon is a significantly underrated player both amongst Pacers fans and amongst the league in general I mean he can really make an offense go. He can score from pretty much anywhere on the court. He's got this new little floater that makes him more dynamic, and his defense is pretty solid, although he does have a specific matchup profile that he really struggles with. That was a lot of words. That was essay style, stream of consciousness, my thoughts on Malcolm Brogdon. But in a game where he returns and doesn't get hurt again in the middle of the game, is able to play in all four quarters and put his stamp on the game, we saw how effective he can be. Plus four in a win in their first road win in months, right? Like that that is significant for a team that hasn't won in a while. And he's only played in 27 game, 28 games, excuse me, this season. He's missed nearly 20 games. Like that is certainly his biggest problem. He's played, you know, since since December 15th. This was his third game and first time over 20 minutes, right? Like that is a problem. But that's really when this team's been struggling, is that stretch, right? The last time Brogdon played was that game on the 15th against Milwaukee. They lost to Golden State right before that, but right before Brogdon got hurt, they were on their three-game winning streak. They were, I think, 13-17, and 17, four games under 500. Like, Just look at how the season has gone. He clearly has a huge impact on the Pacers, and it's not a secret that when he finally returns and plays big minutes, they get a win. I just think people should open their eyes a little bit more to the, to the level of success Malcolm Brogdon helps the Pacers get. Let's pivot and close it out with the big news. The big-ish news, it's it's kind of hard to officially put a stamp on this because there's no timeline. DeMontis Sabonis has this new ankle injury. And thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day. Tomorrow we'll be talking the game against the Warriors because the Pacers are on a back-to-back, which is unfortunate because this game was a slog and a high-energy game. 
and it was long, and some guys played big minutes, including Sabonis, who played over 35, and Duarte played over 30 minutes, and Torrey Craig played, go, played over 30 minutes. It wasn't a huge minutes game. It was a big minute game, and there's travel in between. But the big thing about that happened and it's going to make this Warriors game tough beyond the fact that it's a back-to-back is that DeMontis Simonis will almost certainly, I mean probably 99.9% chance, going to play in this game. The exact quote from Rick Carlisle postgame was, like I said earlier, probably going to be significant in regards to Sabonis' ankle sprain. He came down on a rebound on top of, I forget which Laker, already in a t- clearly in a ton of pain right away. I thought he was going to come out of the game. I was actually thinking it could be an Achilles based on where he was reaching for his leg. That did not appear to be the case. He stayed in the game. Uh he clearly was in pain, wincing, uh, told Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports in his post-game thing that he needed to get ice for it like right after the game, right? Like he was in some pain. He had a huge three, by the way, on this angle thing. The Lakers, I think, had it at five, the lead at that point when he hit that shot. Not really important to the context of his injury, but uh, it was a huge shot for him uh, in, in pain. So that was impressive. But we don't have a timeline right now. I don't, I don't know where Carlisle doesn't know exactly how significant it is or how long he'll be out but what a sting for the Pacers that right when Turner gets hurt they get one game of just Sabonis before he also gets hurt like I as a numbers guy love these evaluation periods when only one center is playing where you can see the younger bigs play you can see how the team looks with only one of their two bigs playing at the same time and really grow into that realm and we got one game they won and now that evaluation period may be gone so I might be getting ahead of myself this could only be like a couple day thing and Sabonis has been a pretty quick healer and he he stayed in the game like it might not be too significant but it did look really painful I mean he was down for a few seconds and it rolled pretty hard and he's a very tall person falling on his own ankle like it it could be pretty bad so we'll see where this shakes out but the severity is key obviously because the Pacers have a tough stretch of games coming up and the, the the immediate thing is what happens on the court well on the bright side for the Pacers if they are rebuilding, retooling, whatever they're doing going forward would involve playing their young guys more. Now their center rotation is going to be all young guys, right? Gogo will probably start, although I can I get a I would understand if they decided to go with Isaiah Jackson as a starter. Either way, one of those two guys will start, the other one will come off the bench as the five. Getting those guys a lot of burn will be good, right? Just to evaluate how good they are, what their role can be on the Pacers in the future. It could be Isaiah Jackson's first chance to be consistently in the rotation of his whole career, right? And, and you know, the thing with Goga that I talked about on uh, Tuesday's podcast is he has stated in his career that he plays better when he knows he's going to get consistent minutes in a game and he knows what his role is going to be before the game starts. Perhaps that could be something that helps Isaiah, too, is him knowing every game he's going to play. He's going to get 15 to 20 minutes, maybe even more than that. Right. This could be a good evaluation time for Goga and Isaiah, at least the Golden State game, probably longer based on Carlisle's comments. But without knowing the severity, again, it's very, very hard to say exactly how how much this could do uh, in terms of shaking up the rotation. But that that's the on-court thing is the Pacers will be much worse, right? Like with, with Turner out, they'll be worse, but they still had Sabonis. So they'll, they'll be okay. They can survive. They are they obviously won the first game without Turner. Without both bigs, uh, yikes, you know, that they could really suffer. They'll be relying on young guys who are, you know, have some skills, but Isaiah's a rookie. He's still kept keeping up with the speed of the game and he's put on some muscle and Goga has played pretty well this week in his two games, but has always had bright flashes and low points throughout his entire career. If he can be consistent, perhaps that could be good for his future and for the Pacers' level of success right now, but it's going to be tough for them. And if those two guys get in foul trouble, 
This could be like last year where O'Shea Brissett is the emergency center. He did okay in that role last year. I think he actually started a game at center for them, and Amita Brima was the backup in Orlando, if you'll recall, last season at all when the Pacers were just heavily injured. So that's not like off the table, but I have no idea how Carlisle is going to decide to handle this. It it depends on how serious Sabonis' injury is. It's going to be uh, the the story to keep up with for for the rest of – uh, the rest of the weeks coming up. And, you know, it's a huge bummer that this happened, obviously. Uh, it's going to be good for the Pacers to evaluate the young guys, though, especially in a season where they're 16 and 29. Or I already, I kind of lost track in the in the slurry of losses what their exact record is. They are, in fact, 16 and 29. You know, that's the kind of team that playing young centers isn't necessarily the worst thing ever. So, you know, th- that's the small, bright side. There's no bright sides to injuries. But the small silver lining is that you can play your young guys a little bit more. Uh, the other part of this coin is exactly the same thing that I talked about yesterday with Miles Turner's injury. The trade deadline is coming up. Uh, it is now January 20th. That means we're like 20 days away, basically exactly three weeks from the trade deadline. Savonis's name has been floated uh, in in some rumors that have been posted out there. And, you know, I think I'll, I'll I would just say this is the same thing as Turner. Like if you are a team that was like lightly considering dealing for Sabonis and you now you know he's going to be out through the trade deadline with this ankle thing. Now you're probably out. But if you're a team that significantly wanted him anyway, and he has so much time left on his deal even beyond this season, I don't think this hurts his value at all or makes him harder to deal for a team that might want him uh, unless it's one of those teams that was like very lightly considering it this season. So yeah, it, it maybe slightly impacts his value in a negative way. But you know, unlike Turner, who only has one year left beyond this one, he has several years. So I don't think it changes anything for him for Sabonis in terms of trades very, very, very minorly, if anything. You know, I... We'll we'll see where this shakes out. Obviously, I have no idea what the Pacers' offers are, what they're considering right now. But uh, I, I think that Turner is his trade market is not hurt that much. Like I said yesterday, but his market is hurt a little more by his injury than Sabonis's is. I think his in, Sabonis injury is more about the on court hurt, and you know he's a two time All Star for a reason. How the Pacers pivot on the floor, who they'll have to rely on more. Obviously, the young bigs, and then. From a playmaking perspective, Brogdon, who, like I just said, I think is a better playmaker than given credit for, and Levert are going to have to do much better, you know, navigating the paint with with worse screens and setting up their teammates. So we'll see how the Pacers come out of this. Uh, I talk about injuries way too often on this show, but that's just how the Pacers are these days. Let me know if you think I missed anything glaring from this game or from my Brogdon or Sabonis injury analysis on Twitter at TEastNBA if you're on YouTube. It's right there. Uh, or this podcast is at Lockdown Pacers. Hope everybody had a great day, and we will see you tomorrow.